You are listening to the protagonist of the erotic. Produced by Extra Extra. Each episode is dedicated as an act of love to the libidinal ouvreur of a living person. Desired object or location that can be visited in the present day. We discover what it means to define and shape sensuality, framed within the dynamic context of modern urban life. Clandestine, blue, sparkling and full of promise, the pristine surface of an empty swimming pool is like a sensual invitation. Jump into me, it seems to beg. Plunge your body into my depths. During a summer of heat waves, writer and artist Lara Haworth found herself at poolside surrounded by beach towels and bare flesh. Cooling off from the soaring temperatures, she recalls childhood crushes, Deborah Levy's iconic novel, Swimming Home, and the watery tumult depicted in the film, A Bigger Splash. Following these rivulets of desire, she traces the history of public lidos and a cultural lineage of swimming, wondering how bodies of water seem to suggest the erotic. In these communal spaces, where exposed skin drips, young lovers meet and daredevils leap, anything seems possible. With the scent of chlorine and sunscreen perfuming the air, Lara lines her feet up at the pool's edge and dives in. southwest France, on the outskirts of the city of Perigueux, watching my friend's son snorkel for hours around the swimming pool. He is in love with the swimming pool. Yesterday, he spent so long inside it that the soles of his feet turned soft, and when he walked on solid ground again, they opened up two round wounds, two red coins, and bled. It reminds me of another swimming pool in 1995. A friend of mine dived in and the pool claimed her two front teeth on its submerged edge. Love can be like that. It can take your teeth, your feet, 
This pool, where my friend's son is currently snorkeling, is the same pool in which I fell in love with my girlfriend two years previously. I wonder at what age my friend's son is going to experience something similar, when he is going to pull himself out of the water and decide he is no longer just in love with the pool, but with a body contained within it. I pull out my phone and Google Perigo, a city I realise I know nothing about. I read about the age of its cathedral, the relative Romanness of its origins, and then that on the 24th of October 1954, Simone Marais, the lead actress in Louis Bunuel's Un Chien Andalou, doused herself in gasoline and burnt herself to death in the public square. The city shudders for a moment, becomes briefly unreal. Her death is the opposite of this swimming pool. There is a photograph of me and my girlfriend falling in love in this pool. It is one of my most prized possessions. She is lying on a bright pink lilo, and I am stretched back across an inflatable boat, printed over with squid and seahorses. A red, yellow and white beach pool is touching my foot. Both our swimsuits are black. She is looking up at the camera, smiling. I am leaning back, eyes closed, my hair and the crown of my head in the water, with a confidence that would not be possible on sea or land, where I would be contending with waves, with rocks, with ants. Our bodies are outstretched towards one another. Her hand is on my forearm. We are floating on swimming pool blue. The sunlight is breaking in cellular shapes. My friend who has the son who is now snorkeling took this photograph. She stood on the edge with her iPhone and the pool gave her the eternal frame. My girlfriend spent her teenage summers around a municipal pool in the south of Portugal, in a city called Oliao. Oliao is a centre for industrial fish and seafood processing, home to the Bella brand of canned sardines and Conservera do Sul's range of processed fish and seafood products, tinned anchovies, mackerel and tuna, codfish, shrimp and salmon pastes. She tells me the city's predominant smell is of arse. I wonder if this smell ever wound its way across the municipal pool, if it tinted the air with its strangeness. Because, as everyone knows, fish are not welcome in a swimming pool. The pool in Oliao was the centre of my girlfriend's social life and framed the time in which she and her friends pulled themselves out of the water sat on the side and took in the bodies around them. The bar there served them strong drinks, drinks that were coloured lurid green and pink, drinks that were on fire at the rim, and the air was thick with adolescent yearning. I asked my girlfriend to tell me one of my favourite stories from this time. 
the story of Ronaldo. So what year are we in? 1997. A great year. Hmm. And tell me about Ronaldo. Uh, Ronaldo uh, had a bob, like a dark blonde bob, um, wore a lot of tight T-shirts, vests, high-waisted Levi's, was very little, a lot of chokers with sharks, tooths on and stuff. I think he might have inspired the trio of brothers called Hanson, Mbop, if anyone knows. Classic yep. tune of the era. And he was very, very confident. Mm. And you had a friend with you that year at the pool. Yeah, our parents were friends. She was very cool, uh, had a crush on Ronaldo. Uh, one night we had a couple of very strong, we were 15, we had a couple of really strong curacao cocktails that were lit and set on fire and really emboldened her to tell him about her crush. And how did he respond? He said, um, well, you know, this is very regrettable news. If you see me across the swimming pool, you may wave to me and I may or may not wave back. Ouch. Pretty crushing, yeah. My friend Richie's parents met, more successfully, beside a swimming pool. It was the tail end of July 1963, and they were both doing post office residential courses at Bletchley. Bletchley is the place where Alan Turing, later forcibly chemically castrated for being homosexual, cracked the Enigma Code and contributed to the end of World War II. Any romantic interludes that Turing might have had beside the swimming pool would have been illegal. But back to 1963. Richie's mother was 17, training to be a telephonist. Richie's father was 19, training to be a telecoms engineer. And he frequented the pool, in his words, to meet girls. He had a girlfriend at the time who was actually in the pool when Richie's parents met on the side although whether they were closer to the deep end or the shallow end, nobody can remember. Six days after Richie's parents met, ties with previous lovers were severed and they started dating. His father drove his mother around in the sidecar attached to his motorbike, the energy of the water carrying them out of the municipal turnstiles and onto the street. Here's Richie now. I always thought this story was sweet and romantic and maybe even rebellious. There they were in their motorcycle, riding around like a Southern County's Bonnie and Clyde. I'd like to let that image of them live vividly in my mind's eye. It was a true romance. Until it dawned on me. But Dad, what were you doing at the pool? You can't swim. Daddy cool, but slightly sharky. Well, 
When the first swathe of public pools were built in the UK in the 19th century, not many people could swim. On hot days, people would crowd into rivers and the sea, and large numbers would drown. The first pools were built partly as a response to this and other more Victorian imperatives. Cleanliness, fitness, health, order. They were not designed to encourage the shedding of boundaries between one body and another, the confidence of a hand on an arm, the slipperiness of wet skin. There was, naturally, an attendant moral panic, in direct response to what must have been, to some, a surprise development of erotic life. Men and women were strictly separated in terms of bathing. Not that this would have bothered Alan Turing. The fear of sexualized bodies in the water was acute. In 1912, women were permitted for the first time to take part in swimming events at the Olympic Games in Stockholm. Women from the US could not participate because of their mandate that women wear long skirts. Tootingbeck Lido, a ten-minute walk from where I grew up in South London, was built in 1906. 1,500 people a day used to go into the water. At its opening, Wandsworth Borough News reported that, heedless of the presence of members of the fair sex, hundreds of boys unblushingly undressed and were sampling the quality of the water long before the big guns had departed. I'm not sure who the big guns were, but the journalist sounds alarmed. In addition to this sense of rapid cultural and erotic change, Many bathers walked barefoot towards the pool across the common, prompting complaints to the council that the facility was being stormed by the riffraff from slumland. Bodies, unshod, unclothed, were mingling and touching, pulled by some ungovernable desire. The swimming pool... I wonder why bathing costume parades always draw the crowds. Some of the girls don't seem to care a rap. Members of the Women's League of Health and Beauty give a fine demonstration of physical fitness. This sort of exercise is certainly more profitable than jumping to conclusions. Most people have never known the full benefits and pleasures of swimming because they've never had a chance to learn. If you wish to learn and will use this film as your guide, you can be well on your way. One of the best and most enjoyable ways to start is to find a group who wants to learn, find a safe place in which to learn, and a trained water safety instructor. These three fine young girls, Betsy, Bubbles, and Betty, with their instructor, Bob, are all excellent swimmers. Long ago, they learned there is little pleasure in just getting wet. To begin with, it's a good idea to get wet a little at a time. Never mind those stories people tell about how they were tossed overboard and had to swim. It's always best to walk out into shallow water and get used to the feel of it. By experimenting, you'll also discover that if given a chance, the water will support you. That's right. 
Sit down on the bottom and lean back, just as you would in your own bathtub. See how easily the legs rise from the bottom and seem to float? Just relax, take it easy. My friends, the one whose son would be snorkeling in the pool in Perigo 11 years later, got married beside another municipal pool, Brockwell Lido, near Brixton, in London. This Lido was built in 1937 and has a brown brick, low-slung, modernist aesthetic and a whole-body turnstile that clicks as it revolves to allow you in. My uncle was a lifeguard here in the 1980s, And in 1994, on a visit here with my father, I saw my first openly queer couple. They laid out a beach towel together in a way I felt instinctively was intimate, which was presumably why I was drawn to look. And when they sat down on it, they drew their faces together and kissed. I felt my whole prepubescent body roll through with heat. I thought it was embarrassment at the time. But of course, it wasn't. It was future desire. I like to think I went and jumped in the pool then to cool myself down. But I can't be sure. We weren't allowed to swim the evening my friends got married. We were arranged in the cafe at the side with long tables and margaritas. It was a balmy, pale May night. The pool was laid out as a glimmering, moving, blue painting behind them, and I remember thinking of their future as somehow contained and embodied in its form, in its transparency that seemed to preclude secrets, in its depths and obscure signs. It is right we weren't allowed to swim that night. That night we were all on the side. I bought my girlfriend a swimming pool for her last birthday to commemorate our meeting. A miniature swimming pool made by the artist Kitty Feiner from her series The Smallest Splash. Feiner describes the romance of looking down onto pools from aeroplane windows, far removed from the luxury of owning a pool, and yet finding in this perspective her own source of pleasure. She began turning ships' matchboxes into sculptural pools in 2016 to play with this sense of scale and longing. Each pool comes with a silver ladder and a palm tree. The pool's interior is a rich aquamarine. She acknowledges that people often describe these works as cute, but is clear that this is not why she makes them. Describing her choice to make work on a small scale as a desire to control her practice by keeping it in her own hands, she gives that same pleasure and intrigue to her viewers and pool owners, creating for them feelings of anticipation rather than nostalgia. Holding my girlfriend's pool in the palm of my hand, I can testify to its uncanny, imminent power. This summer, during the heat wave, Fina left me a voice note asking if our pool needed any maintenance. Hey, Lara, it's Kitty. I was just thinking, I know it's quite out of the blue, but in this heat wave, it's been on my mind that the pool 
might need a little bit of maintenance because I've had an experience with another piece of work that hasn't survived the heat wave because of double-sided sticky tape. And the swimming pool came to mind. And as you know, I had offered any necessary pool maintenance when you when you bought it off me. So the offer still stands if the heat wave has just been too much for it. Let me know. Anyway, lots of love. Hope to see you soon. I love the idea of Fina as a godlike pool maintenance person, travelling to the sites of her miniature pools, fixing and filling their cracks, their wear and tear. Fina's The Smallest Splash series is named for David Hockney's painting, A Bigger Splash. Swimming pools are Hockney's great subject, and his paintings of the 60s and 70s swimming pools of Southern California, to him a form of chlorinated, shimmering paradise after the Yorkshire he left behind, revel in a reality of gay, domestic life and the homoerotic pleasures of the naked or semi-naked male body. Luca Guadagnino's 2015 film, A Bigger Splash, is also named for Hockney. But Guadagnino flips over the erotic, like an insect, to reveal the underside death drive, hard and glinting, in the Sicilian glare. He places it by the pool, where it carries on burning. Desire, jealousy, danger and power stalk the edges of his swimming pool and the water provides no relief. By the close of this film, there is a body in the pool, and it is not alive. Deborah Levy, in her 2011 novel, Swimming Home, also uses the swimming pool as the central, desired object, around which her characters fume and yearn and fantasise and plot. Pleasure and promise, risk and death, swim silently beneath its surface with quiet, determined inevitability. Deborah Levy's Swimming Home The swimming pool in the grounds of the tourist villa was more like a pond than the languid blue pools in holiday brochures. A pond in the shape of a rectangle carved from stone by a family of Italian stonecutters living in Antibes. The body was floating near the deep end, where a line of pine trees kept the water cool in their shade. Is it a bear? Joe Jacobs waved his hand vaguely in the direction of the water. He could feel the sun burning into the shirt his Hindu tailor had made for him from a roll of raw silk. His back was on fire. Even the roads were melting in the July heat wave. His daughter, Nina Jacobs, Fourteen years old, standing at the edge of the pool in her new cherry-print bikini, glanced anxiously at her mother. Isabel Jacobs was unzipping her jeans as if she was about to dive in. At the same time, she could see Mitchell and Laura, the two family friends sharing the villa with them for the summer, put down their mugs of tea and walk towards the stone steps that led to the shallow end. Laura, a slender giantess at six foot three, kicked off her sandals and waded in up to her knees. A battered yellow lilo knocked against the mossy sides, 
scattering the bees that were in various stages of dying in the water. What do you think it is, Isabel? Nina could see from where she was standing that it was a woman swimming naked under the water. She was on her stomach, both arms stretched out like a starfish, her long hair floating like seaweed at the sides of her body. watched her mother dive into the murky green water and swim towards the woman. Saving the lives of bloated bodies floating in rivers was probably the sort of thing her mother did all the time. Apparently television ratings always went up when she was on the news. Her mother disappeared to Northern Ireland and Lebanon and Kuwait and then she came back as if she'd just nipped down the road to buy a pint of milk. Isabel Jacobs' hand was about to clasp the ankle of whoever it was floating in the pool. A sudden violent splash made Nina run to her father, who grasped her sunburnt shoulder, making her scream out loud. When a head emerged from the water, its mouth open and gasping for breath, for one panicked second, she thought it was roaring like a bear. A woman with dripping waist-length hair climbed out of the pool and ran to one of the plastic recliners. She looked like she might be in her early twenties, but it was hard to tell because she was frantically skipping from one chair to another, searching for her dress. It had fallen onto the paving stones, but no one helped her because they were staring at her naked body. Nina felt light-headed in the fierce heat. The bittersweet smell of lavender drifted towards her, suffocating her as the sound of the woman's panting breath mingled with the drone of the bees in the wilting flowers. It occurred to her she might be sunsick, because she felt as if she was going to faint. In a blur, she could see the woman's breasts were surprisingly full and round for someone so thin. Her long thighs were joined to the jutting hinges of her hips like the legs of the dolls she used to bend and twist as a child. The only thing that seemed real about the woman was the triangle of golden pubic hair glinting in the sun. The sight of it made Nina fold her arms across her chest and hunch her back in an effort to make her own body disappear. By the end of swimming home, as in a bigger splash, there will be a dead body in this pool. Levy's swimming pool itself tells us, dripping with its own portent and power. It won't be a bear, or a bee, or the woman we encounter, naked, radiating sexuality, in the novel's opening pages. 
Hearing this passage again, it occurs to me that the prospect of a bear in the swimming pool is more immediately alarming to these characters than their messy, desiring, flawed realities. But by the close, we will understand how wrong they are. How wrong we are. Our human natures leak into the water. We turn it a different colour. I think we forget this because the pool is not the ocean. It is not the river. It contains no salt, no rocks, no sharks or crocodiles. When a frog or a bear enters a pool, it is as an interloper. The swimming pool is a site of dedicated pleasure, imitating nature, but removed almost entirely from it. And yet it is never very far from sex, from desire, from risk, from death, from love. Thank you for joining Extra Extra on this listening experience. It's been a pleasure to have welcomed you on a journey through this episode of The Protagonist of the Erotic. Please visit us at extraextramagazine.com where you can hear more about our auditory programme and discover further editorial content exploring the intertwinement of sensuality and the city. Thank you.